Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Qi Tuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files January 5th, 1950 was not a happy day for the nationalist Chinese forces on Taiwan because it was January 5th, 1950 that American President Harry S. Truman read the following statement, quote, the United States has no predatory designs on Formosa or on any other Chinese territory. The United States has no desire to obtain special rights or privileges or to obtain military bases on Formosa at this time. Nor does it have any intention of utilizing its armed forces to interfere in the present situation, unquote. And just to make that doubly clear, he continued, the United States government will not provide military aid or advice to Chinese forces on Formosa. Not even advice. That's devastating. Although he did go on to say that the United States would continue giving economic assistance to the island, let's face it, everyone thought it was just a matter of time before the communists conquered the island. Mm, that everyone included the U.S. State Department, who in May of 1950 issued an evacuation notice to American citizens in Taiwan. They said Americans should leave as soon as possible as... There can be no assurance that the United States government will be able to provide transportation facilities in any emergency that may arise. That emergency is an invasion. Privately, the U.S. military attaches in Taipei were predicting an invasion very soon, sometime between mid-June and the end of July. And of course, there was a communist invasion and in that exact time frame, but it was in a different part of East Asia. The very next month, June 25th, North Korea invaded South Korea, and therefore Taiwan was saved. Well, at least for the moment. Yes, saved by the Korean War. This usually gets summarized as Taiwan becoming strategically important and President Truman sending the Seventh Fleet into the Taiwan Strait to protect the island and uh, using Taiwan as a military base. But that's not quite what happened it's reluctant protection and with conditions. Right. Two days after the North Koreans invaded the South, Truman announced that the United States would intervene in Korea and would protect Taiwan. He said, I have ordered the Seventh Fleet to prevent any attack on Formosa. As a corollary of this action, I am calling on the Chinese government on Formosa to cease all air and sea operations against the mainland. The Seventh Fleet will see that this is done. The determination of the future status of Formosa must await the restoration of security in the Pacific, a peace settlement with Japan, or consideration by the United Nations. So Truman is, I guess you could say, quarantining Taiwan. I think mm. the term used at the time was um, the neutralization of Taiwan. President Truman and his most trusted advisor, Dean Acheson, the Secretary of State, they both hated uh, Chiang Kai-shek and didn't want him involved in Korea. They saw the regime as repressive, incompetent, and corrupt. And the American taxpayer had balked long enough. And as Truman told Acheson, 
and I paraphrase here a little bit, we're not going to give the nationalist Chinese a nickel for any purpose whatsoever. All the money we gave them is now invested in United States real estate. Not all in real estate, quite a bit used for lobbying. The nationalists and their supporters were active in the U.S. trying to drive American policy to be pro-Jiang, right? It was a very highly partisan time, and uh, this is best exemplified by Senator Joseph McCarthy's accusations of communist spies and sympathizers in the government and basically everywhere else. The Republicans (laughs) and Zhang were blaming the Democrats for, quote unquote, losing China. So Truman hated Zhang and Zhang hated Truman and Atchison. Zhang kept a diary throughout his life, uh, handwritten with a calligraphy brush. And uh, while you can't always take the entries at face value, they're a great resource Fascinating to see who he calls a bad egg and what makes him angry. Uh, Here's an entry from July 28th, 1950. Jiang wrote, the U.S. treats us not only as a conquered territory, but also as an enemy. That's pretty strong language, an enemy. What was he on about? That morning, July 28th, air sirens had gone off. A squadron of aircraft is approaching. Uh, A surprise communist attack, it must be. Everyone, or at least the high-ranking people, they head for the air raid shelters. The Republic of China Air Force scrambles fighters to engage the invading planes. But turns out they're not Chinese planes, nor Russian ones. They're U.S. reconnaissance planes sent by the 7th Fleet to survey Taiwan's defenses. (laughs) Wow. So the U.S. planes entered Taiwan's or airspace without even notifying the authorities? The Americans in Tokyo had cabled the U.S. naval attache in Taipei, but he wasn't in the office. Uh, He'd gone out for the day uh, for a day of golf. Anyway, while he's on the golf course, that important cable is sitting on his desk. That's crazy. A funny episode, but it it does reveal the lack of communication channels with Taipei. And I guess Truman not wanting those channels, not actually wanting the nationalists to be involved in anything. Consider that Truman statement we just read, the, the last sentence, the future status of Formosa awaits determination. Truman, as you said, was not a a fan of Chiang Kai-shek, and he actually was hoping to sort of ditch Chiang Kai-shek, who had been the Republic of China leader for three decades and was pretty clearly past his use-by date. Mm -hmm. Yet Truman was also not happy, right, at the prospect of a communist takeover. So he needs an alternative, but... eh. Right. Uh, It's fascinating looking at all the options the Truman administration explored, or at least talked about. Mm. There was talk of uh, replacing Zhang, which, you know, would be code basically for a coup from within the nationalists or backing a so-called third force, an alternative group to the nationalists. Truman even wondered if Taiwan could be taken back as part of Japan at that time under U.S. occupation. Uh, One option they didn't consider was uh, offering Chiang Kai-shek exile in the United States. But they did ask the president of the Philippines something like, um, how would you feel about Chiang Kai-shek coming for a visit and um, or uh, not leaving? And the Philippine reply was, uh, no, thanks. But I don't think they actually said the thanks part. 
Yeah, the, the most serious suggestion for Taiwan's future was that it be put under temporary United Nations control. Oh, uh, what's what's the phrase for that? I think it's trusteeship. It was supposed to be a UN trusteeship. That's it. And then the the Taiwanese could eventually um, decide for themselves uh, a vote. But there wasn't enough political will or interest uh, to push this through. And uh, the Korean War intervened. Not enough political will or interest, but also not enough knowledge. These factors plagued East Asia policy throughout this entire period. Truman and his advisors had a, a European focus. They were busy with rebuilding and strengthening Europe. At that time, you have the Marshall Plan, right? The building up of NATO. Europe mm-hmm. was by far their priority. It got their time. It got their resources. They believed the Soviets were a much greater threat than the Chinese and that it was Europe, not Asia, where the Cold War would be decided. Yeah. An expression, an example of that European bias is the amazing fact that Atchison, Secretary of State, so that's the position responsible for uh, handling foreign policy, during his four years in office, he made 11 trips to Europe, but none to East Asia. And uh, President Truman? Never went to Asia. Wow. Truman as a national leader, was not alone in his not really giving the Formosa problem much consideration. And he was also not alone in his dislike of uh, General Lissimo Chiang Kai-shek. Even after the Korean War, some of the allies saw no use for Chiang Kai-shek. Absolutely. There was even displeasure at America's intervention in the Taiwan Strait. The the British and Canadians, for example, I think they would have been happy uh, to hand Formosa over to the communists as a bargaining chip to uh, try and buy peace. The British Prime Minister Clement Attlee and the Indian Prime Minister Nehru actually later explored peace initiatives with Moscow along the lines of getting peace by having the Republic of China replaced by the People's Republic of China at the United Nations. Many leaders, Americans and elsewhere, and journalists, academics, policy advisors, they fundamentally misunderstood the Chinese communists. When you say misunderstood, what do you mean? They didn't think that they were really communists. They're just agrarian reformers or they're nationalistic, uh, not like the Soviets. So if you showed goodwill to them, you could bring them on side, maybe even drive a wedge between the PRC and uh, the USSR, like Tito in Yugoslavia. Mm. But there was at least one U.S. leader who did like Chiang Kai-shek very much, in fact, and that would be General Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur, who's now based in Tokyo as the supreme commander of allied powers in Japan, and Japan is under allied occupation, right? This would be from 1945 to 1952. So MacArthur is head honcho. He's also commander in chief of the Far East Command and also a chief of the United Nations Command. So he's wearing multiple hats here. He's running the war in Korea from Tokyo. And a month after the invasion, he flies to Taipei on what he calls a survey trip. But he was accompanied by all of the top military brass, the intelligence people, the Navy people, the Air Force. And waiting at Taipei Songshan Airport was all of the nationalist leadership a smiling Chiang Kai-shek and Madame Chiang Kai-shek, and MacArthur kissed her hand. Oh, that's MacArthur being MacArthur, acting like a a head of state or a a king. Washington was not informed about the talks the two sides had. 
But uh, let's rewind a little bit here and give some background on the Korean War. Korea had been a part of the Japanese Empire. It was annexed in 1910. In 1945, it was divided, so 1945, end of the war, right? It was divided, Second World War, divided by the United States and the Soviet Union along the 38th parallel into two zones of occupation. Because of Cold War politics, these ended up becoming two different states rather than reunifying as was planned. Kim Il-sung, that's the grandfather of current uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. He was the ruler in the communist North. Kim Il-sung wanted to invade the South. Mao Zedong agreed, but the final call was Stalin's, and he green-lighted it. So the Korean War lasted from June 1950 to July 1953, three years and a month. It was a conflict on a huge scale that took a horrendous toll, around three million deaths, and those were mostly civilians. Now, technically, the war never actually ended, but fighting came to a close with an armistice in July 1953. During the war, North Korea was supported by the USSR, as well as the PRC, the People's Republic of China. Well, I should say more than just supported by the PRC, their troops made up by far the largest contingent of the war. China sent well over a million soldiers at their peak strength time. South Korea was supported by a United Nations coalition. And this was an early test for the newly created United Nations and about two dozen countries that contributed forces. Yeah, uh, New Zealanders, uh, we were there, and my Anzac brothers from Australia too. But as usual, uh, the United States did the great majority of uh, the heavy lifting. The United Nations, so just saying that makes people get a bit confused, right? Because the Soviet Union was a member of the UN Security Council. So how was it, listeners might be wondering, that the United Nations could organize some sort of military response without the Soviets simply vetoing it? Well, the Soviets were uh, boycotting the UN Security Council from earlier that year for uh, the UN continuing to recognize Taiwan, you know, the Republic of China, as the real China instead of the PRC. They had thrown a tantrum, uh, walked out, but now uh, that was coming back to bite them. So the Soviets were boycotting the UN, which didn't give them uh, any power. Right. Okay. so with that background covered, we can return. uh, Where were we exactly? MacArthur in Taipei uh, with the U.S. military for talks with Jiang and the nationalists and President Truman and his secretary of state, Dean Acheson, in the dark. You can imagine Adjison and Truman finding out, I think, via the press about MacArthur's visit. They must have hit the roof. And the image of him kissing Madame Zhang's hand must have got them twitching in anger. So what were MacArthur and Zhang discussing? Using nationalist forces in the war. After the North Koreans invaded, Zhang had offered to send 33,000 of his best troops to Korea. Truman and Atchison, they were against this and declined. Truman turned it down, fearing that it would stress the United Nations coalition and that it might widen the war, uh, bringing China in. Well, that happened anyway. Yes. I wonder if Chiang Kai-shek figured his offer would be turned down. Like, we'll never really know if that offer was actually sincere. It might have been, depending on what he could have got in return. But it's worth considering how 
despite all of Jiang uh, Kai-shek's hawkish rhetoric, all the talk of retaking the mainland, when he got a chance later in the war to be unleashed, he was half-hearted at best. Mm. There's a great passage from uh, Ling Xiaoting's book, Accidental State. He writes, uh, while Washington urged Taipei to launch a military counteroffensive against the communist-controlled territories of Hainan Island and the Southeast mainland, it was Jiang Kai-shek who now tried to avoid such an operation so as to keep his military supremacy intact within the nationalist hierarchy, in addition to assuring Taiwan's defense interests. During the Korean War, Jiang made his political survival top priority uh, and strengthening his hold on Taiwan. Uh, Retaking the mainland was not at the top of his to-do list. So regardless of how sincere he was in his uh, offer of sending 33,000 troops, uh, for Jiang, this was a massive propaganda win. Absolutely. Uh, It helped cement the image of him as wanting to fight, uh, of him being held back by the Democrats in the U.S. MacArthur wanted to use the nationalist troops, yet his championing of Jiang, his determination to defend Taiwan from communist attack, his determination to widen the war was going too far off government policy. And Truman was very unhappy and would have very much liked to have removed him, but... Uh, North Korean troops are on the march and their Soviet-supplied T-34 tanks are rolling across South Korea. The city of Seoul falls, and in the first two months, the South Korean army and a small force of Americans were there. They're on the verge of defeat. They've retreated to a small area in the southeast of Korea. So this is the wrong time to replace MacArthur. He becomes basically untouchable after Incheon. So for those who aren't familiar with this, this is mid-September 1950. MacArthur launched a highly risky amphibious counteroffensive at Incheon, which is near Seoul. It was an absolutely stunning military victory and a turnaround. He got really lucky, to, to be frank. But what he did was he cut off the North Korean troops and supply lines in South Korea. And this was just a huge reversal of the war. They were on the brink of, of losing. And all of a sudden, now they had the advantage. Yes. And in October, they've got uh, more forces. They've got UN troops and lots of Americans, and they're pushing north. They crossed the 38th parallel and continued north all the way to the Yalu River, the border with China. Uh, But this was overreach. Large numbers of Chinese disguised as Korean soldiers had already infiltrated and others awaited over the border. U.S. intelligence was uh, unaware of uh, this, or at least the scale of it. On the same day as the northern capital of Pyongyang was taken, it's October 19th, a quarter of a million Chinese troops, the Chinese People's Volunteer Army, crossed the Yalu River. The UN forces were caught by surprise and were badly hurt and shaken and in full retreat now. Eighth Army troops fleeing south in disarray. This is the worst American defeat since uh, I don't know when more than halfway down the peninsula, and Seoul is taken again. So we go from this glory of the Incheon landing to the overreach of going across the 38th up to the Yalu River, and it's all been reversed again. Yes. The crossing of the 38th parallel uh, and the rollback uh, was Washington's policy from early on. It's not something MacArthur uh, came up with, uh, though he did support it. Okay, but 
MacArthur misjudged things. He hadn't figured on direct Chinese involvement, and he placed too much importance on air power. So as the UN troops are being driven south, MacArthur is asking for nationalist troops from Taiwan to come to Korea. He wants to end the neutralization policy. He wants aerial bombing and a naval blockade of China. This was rejected by Washington because Washington would rather abandon Korea than risk World War III. So I found a little clip of uh, Harry Truman explaining his desire to contain the conflict. I've edited a little bit, but this is really his voice. I've thought long and hard about this question of extending the war in Asia. But you may ask, why don't we bomb Manchuria and China itself? Why don't we assist the Chinese nationalist troops to land on the mainland of China? If we were to do these things, we would be running a very grave risk of starting a general war. I believe that we must try to limit the war to Korea to make sure that the precious lives of our fighting men are not wasted to see that the security of our country and the free world is not needlessly jeopardized and to prevent a third world war. While MacArthur was pressing once again for the war to be widened to China, to bomb China's industry, to unleash Chiang Kai-shek, to attack the mainland, Seoul was lost on January 4th, 1951. Days later, the top military people, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, gave MacArthur an answer to his proposals And all of the answers were no, no, and no, concluding that when they said evacuation is essential to avoid severe losses of men and material, you will at that time withdraw from Korea to Japan. So we're looking at the possibility of a complete and humiliating evacuation. The North's third offensive ended on January 8th, 1951. The Chinese troops were exhausted, undersupplied, they're overextended. But the top general in Korea for the Southern forces, the newly arrived General Matthew Ridgway, however, he will not give the Chinese time to regroup and rest. And he made a gradual pushback and the UN forces recaptured Seoul in March. That's the fourth time the city has changed hands and they pushed up to around the 38th parallel. Wow. Four times back and forth between the two sides for Seoul. And so back to around the 38th parallel, that's basically where things were when the war started. Yeah, the front stabilized and the last two years of the war would be a, a war of attrition. Ridgway's successes made MacArthur's doomsday predictions look foolish. And it also made the great man MacArthur himself seem dispensable. Ridgway was a, a breath of fresh air. Um, he was not a drama queen, not a megalomaniac, not a loose cannon looking for all out war with Red China and then, I don't know, pushing all the way on to Moscow. And so it was on April 11th, 1951, Truman finally fired MacArthur for, while not openly disobeying orders, for his resistance to orders from the US government. MacArthur was not forewarned. An aide heard the announcement on the radio, told MacArthur's wife, who told the man himself. And I found some audio of the original announcement. Press Secretary Short reads the momentous presidential statement, climaxing months of disagreement on Far Eastern policy between President Truman and General Douglas MacArthur. With deep regret, I have concluded that General of the Army Douglas MacArthur is unable to give his wholehearted support to the policies of the United States government and of the United Nations in matters pertaining to his official duties. I have therefore relieved General MacArthur of his commands and have designated Lieutenant General Matthew B. Ridgway as his successor. 
Wow, that's a harsh way to get fired. No kidding. In MacArthur's words and from his memoirs, he, he wrote, no office boy, no charwoman, no servant of any sort would have been dismissed with such callous disregard for the ordinary decencies. Chiang Kai-shek wrote a letter to him inviting him to come to Taiwan to aid Asia's fight against communist aggression. MacArthur, however, returned to the United States. Uh, he was pretty old at this stage, uh, 71 years old when he was uh, relieved. But it was actually political ambitions rather than his age that was probably more behind that. There was the possibility of MacArthur running for president perhaps stepping in as a candidate if the Republican candidates, Taft and Eisenhower, were somehow deadlocked. But this did not happen, and his star faded away. Yes, though uh, real stars don't actually fade away, they explode. And likewise, MacArthur took Truman down with him. Right. So Truman's decision to uh, recall MacArthur was unpopular and he suffered. He chose not to run in the November 1952 election. Eisenhower would be the next president. But that's in the future. So currently Truman is still president and back in Korea, General Matthew Ridgway is running the war. Ridgway is not a Chiang Kai-shek supporter and he does not want to use nationalist troops. Over the next year, he didn't even bother paying a courtesy visit to Taipei. And so it would seem Chiang Kai-shek and Taiwan will have no more involvement, indirect or otherwise, in the Korean War. But this was not the case. Taiwan would greatly determine how things played out for the next two years in Korea. MacArthur's contacts with Taiwan had already set some forces in motion. The Korean War is, as well as a civil war between Koreans, a war between the United States and China. The PRC contributed nearly 3 million men in total, which creates a linguistic problem for the Americans. The Chinese language is a complete black hole for them. Their intelligence is lousy, they can't understand radio intercepts, they can't interrogate prisoners, and they can't make sense of captured documents. Yeah, they weren't even aware that a huge Chinese invasion was underway until it was too late. The UN forces suffered uh, for their intelligence blindness in uh, the first three Chinese offensives. Now, listeners might be wondering about the Chinese-American population, right? I mean, Chinatown in San Francisco, there's plenty of Chinese people in America. But very few of them were Mandarin speakers. Many or most were from Guangdong and they speak Cantonese. Now, some might quibble with me, but it's a different language, not just a dialect. And the British in Korea, they can't tap into the Chinese population in Malaya or elsewhere in Southeast Asia because the Chinese from there are mostly from Fujian. Again, different, very, very different from Mandarin. So where could they get help for Chinese? Well, it sounds like Taiwan might be a good place. Taiwan uh, not only had uh, the Chinese speakers, uh, these are mainlanders, but a supply of high caliber, highly trained interpreters trained by and working for the Americans in China during and after the Second World War. Uh, hundreds of them and some nationalists had uh, gone to the US for training, pilots and, and other military men. And General Douglas MacArthur had long been pushing for their use, but had been rejected. Truman didn't want Zhang's involvement at all. But finally, some common sense prevailed. So the interpreters from Taiwan, about 70 odd to start with and more to follow, had been brought on board by MacArthur. 
nationalist staff, uh, Taiwan, Republic of China nationalist staff, made a huge difference on the ground as seen in Ridgeway's successes in rolling the communists back to the 38th parallel. Nationalist personnel from Taiwan would play a secret but central part in the political stalemate over prisoner repatriation, which held up peace talks, held up the war for almost two long years. That's a shocking and largely unknown story, which we will tell next episode. So make sure to tune in for part two of Taiwan's role in the Korean War. You've been listening to Formosa Files. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. 